Hello and welcome to Breaking Ground, the podcast spotlighting the business of real estate. I'm your host, Dave Plasco, and with me today is Dan Kaplan, a real estate veteran with more than 25 years experience and a partner in Eisner Amper's real estate group. Today, we're taking a look at some of the considerations fund managers need to be aware of when using a real estate private equity fund structure rather than a joint venture structure for real estate deals. Hi, Dan. Thanks for being with me today. Great to be here, Dave. We've spoken about many of the benefits of a PE real estate fund structure, capital access and security, the ability to leverage equity, longer investment horizon, risk diversification, and enhanced project scope. But on the flip side, there are a few things that fund managers disregard at their own peril, aren't there? Absolutely. It begins and ends with fund strategy, Dave. So I look at this from two perspectives. On the investor side, I look at this from complying with the tax requirements and the tax filing requirements that those investors had. Large sovereign wealth funds are ready to write large checks. However, they want their the funds to accommodate them and, and set up a structure accordingly. So if they don't, if they don't find a fund that's going to actually design a structure that meets their needs, they're going to find somebody else who will. But just setting up the structure isn't enough. Keeping compliance is key. So whether you're setting up REITs or blockers to, in order to ensure that structure, if you're not keeping that structure, you're going to blow it and cause problems for your investor, and you're really not going to see them for the second fund you raise. I think more on the, uh, the government compliance side, when you're no longer just a single JV, you may be subject to SEC and even state regulations. But um, investment managers, really with more than $100 million uh, under management, have to register, and that sets up a whole new of le- level of compliance on their part. There's many standards, and depending on the facts and circumstances of the fund, but I guess the key issue and key takeaway here is getting expert guidance on compliance that you don't run afoul of the myriad of the, the regs that are in place. Okay. Risk mitigation is always a big topic. What are the key points here? Okay, so on risk mitigation, especially for what I say for emerging managers, uh, emerging managers came out of a, a place that has you know more uh, a larger infrastructure. When you're starting your own fund and launching in a fund structure, outsourcing, I, I think the industry consensus is key. It and it provides a number of benefits. So you have additional transparency. You have a segregation of duties and functionality. And also you have, you know, you're allowing yourself to focus on your core competency, which is investing and managing your investors' funds. You don't have the focus or necessarily the attention and time being consumed with managing that back office function. Another area, I guess I would say, that is not just from a financial reporting perspective, but the biggest area that we're seeing now in the area of non-financial statement risk is the area of cybersecurity. This is a must. I mean, it really circles back to what investors are looking for from their fund manager in that you know, we see constantly with respect to uh, funds, they want not just doing the diligence on the accounting function, but a diligence on the actual um, uh, IT platform because the integrity of investor data is just the most critical component and there is people constantly trying to penetrate uh, your security. We see, it, we see it on a regular basis. So I can't overstate that enough. Sure, I mean, the, the, the fund manager has to get it right every time. The, the bad actors only have to get it right one time. So it sounds like another area where a, you know, a, a seasoned business consultant can be of big value in, in cybersecurity. Absolutely. Investors tend to have some strong feelings about cash management, don't they? This, yes, they do. I mean, investors, at the end of the day, what they're looking for is return. And they want return, whether it's through their PREF or the capital appreciation. But the fund manager needs to balance that um, in terms of deploying the cash most efficiently, 
but at the same time flexibly. So managers have tools at, at their disposal, like a credit line. But when they're using the credit line, the investors aren't necessarily getting the returns they want, at least on their capital invested. So the, the manager really needs to find the proper balance between getting that money deployed and cost effectively and efficiently, because also investors don't want to be subject to multiple calls because that's an inefficient use of their time. So poor management ultimately can have a you know, really disastrous effect on the fund's performance, but also it, it can also impact the GP as a whole in their returns. Now, while the fund's back office infrastructure is typically obscured to investors, they can often tell a buttoned up operation from a substandard one, can't they? So, that, Dave, that used to be the case, but now um, the, the requirements of investors in terms of performing due diligence um, is much more detailed and, and really a deeper dive. And that includes at the fund administration level. So as a fund administrator myself, we normally host um, the diligence teams working on behalf of clients. And they really want to ensure that not just the end product, mean a, you know, a, a optically pretty financial statement is what uh, is completed, but they want to see you know, the meat and potatoes behind it. So they want to understand the infrastructure uh, they want to understand that the systems being used are industry standard and that the firm is operating under really the strictest control environment possible. Um, that includes things like uh, having a SOC 1 type 2 report issued yearly. Um, and you really want to look for that uh, to know that any provider is subject to the strictest in, uh, industry standards and best practices. I realize your list of concerns above is not all inclusive. So any final thoughts? Just from my experience, what I've learned is is managers need to focus on the core aspects of their business. And if they're focused on anything but, they're not going to be able to compete. So I think having the best support in terms of the teams, whether it's back office, counsel, or uh, risk management, you can't go wrong. Thanks, Dan, for your time and insights today. Thanks for having me, Dave. And thank you for listening to Breaking Ground as part of the Eisner Amper podcast series. Visit eisneramper.com forward slash RE, as in real estate, for more information on this and a host of other topics, and join us for our next Eisner Amper podcast when we get down to business.